now this is recording. RTI International Center for Forensic Science presents Just Science. Welcome to Just Science, a podcast for forensic science professionals and anyone who is interested in learning more about how real crime laboratories work. This season will cover content given at the NIJ Forensic Technology Center of Excellence's Impression Pattern and Trace Evidence Symposium. Just Science interviews Cammie Fugglesby, a PhD student from South Dakota State University. Ms. Fugglesby will discuss sufficiency and complexity factors in handwriting examination. Did you know that increasing the size of the document improves the sufficiency of the document or that the likelihood of chance matches decrease as complexity increases? Follow along as we discuss flash ID, shape codes, and flipping algorithms on their heads. This season is funded by the National Institute of Justice's Forensic Technology Center of Excellence. Here's your host, Dr. John Morgan. Welcome to Just Science, the podcast for forensic science professionals. I'm John Morgan, your host, and I'm joined here at Impression Pattern Trace Evidence Symposium by Cammie Fugglesby. So Cammie is in her first year in the uh, Computational Science and Statistics PhD program at the Department of Mathematics and Statistics at South Dakota State University. Have you gotten a thesis advisor yet? Yes, I'm working with Dr. Saunders. Okay, very good. We know Chris very well. I did see Cedric here. Is Chris Saunders at the uh, conference? Yes, he is. Okay, we've got the whole South Dakota State University crew then. Her thesis for her master's degree focused on the sufficiency of an automated handwriting verification system using various comparison methodologies and has presented at the Joint Statistical Meetings and the International Conference on Forensic Inference and Statistics and was the recipient there of the Stephen E. Feinberg Center for Statistics and Applications in Forensic Evidence Young Investigator Travel Award. So where did you go undergraduate? I was at South Dakota State again. Okay. Did you grow up in South Dakota? Or? Yes, I did. <laughs> so you're just fortunate that, you know, one of the premier forensic statistics programs in the world is at South Dakota State University. Right. I was very lucky to have them there. <laughs> okay. Have you always had an interest in statistics or, uh, or in forensic science? I wasn't interested in statistics right away. I was always interested in math. Mm-hmm. But once I took my first statistics course then I found how fun it is, and I can easily think about statistics. Okay. But I've always been interested in some sort of intelligence work or forensic science, and so once I found out that Drs. Newman and Saunders were at South Dakota State, I decided to set up a meeting and go talk to them, and from then it's history. (laughs) Okay, that's fantastic. Now, you've gotten into uh, document examination. How did you get into that? Why was that chosen in particular? Because obviously there are many disciplines out there. Is that something that South Dakota State has an interest in more generally, or is it something that you brought as an interest? This was something I developed as an interest. I was invited to tag along with Dr. Saunders to the Human Factors and Handwriting Evidence Working Group for NIST. So from there, learning about all the problems, more specifically handwriting examination. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Saunders would frequently mention how if any new methodology that somebody wants to apply to forensic science using statistics, if there is an issue with it or if it works really well, usually both of those show up in handwriting first. 
Yeah, handwriting is interesting discipline, and I'm going to be very careful here. As I told Cami before the program, actually, the also eminent Jerry Laporte, who is the beloved director of forensic sciences uh, at NIJ, had been a document examiner before he came to NIJ and still serves on the uh, OSAC in that area. And NIJ actually has a long history of interest in handwriting recognition as well and has invested in some of these tools to try to do some more automated work as well as trying to examine kind of how the field works. So right now in handwriting examination, they have a relatively, I would say, granular way in which they describe examinations. So they have something like five, six, seven different qualitative tags that they put onto the process. So your research in particular is looking at not only how the examiner does business, but also you know, how the decisions are made fairly early in the process. So you've focused on the sufficiency decision, isn't that right? So I focused on the sufficiency, but strictly in the case of using the automated handwriting systems. So right now I'm, I'm not looking at any document examiners. In the future, I will be helping to support a grant where it's looking at how examiners come to their decision. What do you mean by sufficiency in terms of the automated system? Is, are you thinking of, is this handwriting sample sufficient for the purposes of using the automated system, or, or is it a different kind of framework? What do you mean by sufficiency in this case? So we wanted to look at the likelihood of a chance match. This was proposed by doctors Brian Found and his colleagues in Australia. It was in a publication in 2016. They proposed that the likelihood of a chance match would decrease as your writing complexity increases. And so for my thesis, I used writing complexity as the number of words. So as the number of words increase, how does that likelihood decrease? Now, a lot would depend upon the algorithm of the particular matching software. You used Flash ID. So talk about Flash ID. What do we know about how the algorithm of Flash ID operates? For the data for my thesis, the Flash ID system was only used to produce the data. So what the data looked like, they have certain shape codes that letters make. Like whether they're slanted or not, or whether there's a loop, or things of that nature. Right, Mm -hmm. and where some of the lines connect. Mm -hmm. In the data, it mentioned what letter that was actually supposed to be, if it was a capital A or a lowercase a, and what place in the word, and so on. I used some algorithms that had been implemented beforehand, and then I also played with my own algorithm. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that has often been a drawback of the handwriting systems is that they focus in on very particular letters or letter pairs. How broadly does Flash ID operate in terms of looking at letters and letter pairs? And were some of the things that you looked at, uh, did they extend that data set? Or how how did that work in that regard? So I more looked at just words themselves Mm -hmm. instead of letter by letter, but at least the data that I have, the letters in the actual document were split up by the actual letters. It wasn't looking at letter pairings or like if a line went over to another letter, it would cut it off, if that makes sense. Okay, sort of (laughs) makes sense. I'm getting there. Now, how does the automated system design to augment the work of the examiner? Where does... Flash ID fit with respect to how an examiner might approach a problem or conceptually, what is it designed to do? How I understand it is that it's designed to, like I said before, make those shape codes. Yeah. So that if two documents have the same shape code for the same letter, possibly, 
then that could be easily compared. Whereas if they had a different shape code, then that won't lead quite to a comparison saying that the two documents are dissimilar possibly. Okay. So then your research asks which question? Can you sort of lay that out in sort of summary form? I suppose I don't consider having answered a question. Okay. All I wanted to look at was that sufficiency and study how, as the document size increases, how does that likelihood decrease? Did increasing the size of the document actually improve the sufficiency in that regard? Yes, it did. Okay, and in what way? So I considered the number of words between 10 and 100, and for the majority of the algorithms that I implemented, they seem to decrease around 50 or 60 words. Mm-hmm. Decrease to a, a very good level, I should say. So the likelihood of a chance match, usually around the 50 or 60 words, was about 1%. It's actually pretty good. Out of what population of samples? I mean, so you must have had a reference database that you were working with? Right. It's called the FBI 100. Mm-hmm. It's a convenient sample. So it was people, like at a conference like this, where somebody would ask somebody else to write. It was called the London Letter Paragraphs, which were designed to contain every capital letter and every lowercase letter and every numbers 0 through 9. I see. And so you have this database reference set of 100. Mm -hmm. And then were you kind of bringing in one of those and seeing whether you could take a subset of those? Or how did the actual experiment work in terms of what you challenged the reference database with? I took all pairways comparisons of the 100. Okay. And of course, there must have been diminishing returns as well. At some point, you're going to get out of the algorithm what it's going to, you know, adding one more word isn't going to be as valuable as adding the second word, right? If you had 50 right. first word isn't as good as the second word. Did you see kind of a diminishing return to continuing to add data into the uh, algorithm? Right. About that point where we had the 50 or 60 words, after that point, the likelihood of the chance match didn't decrease as significantly. So I see that you used a whole bunch of different statistical approaches to this. The Poisson process, chi-square classifier, Kolbach-Liebler distance. Statisticians are, have all these crazy names that they put on the things. And, it's, <laughs> and I think half of my challenge with statistics is trying to say, oh, what the heck could a Kolbach-Liebler distance be? So are these different approaches considered to be orthogonal, just enough different from each other so that they are distinguishing? Or... Why these particular different comparison methods? The data is mostly categorical, and so these methods naturally fit into the categorical data, into analyzing it. And so we wanted to gather a few different ones, and yes, they are different enough that it was noticeable between the algorithms. But we wanted to try a few just to see exactly how the algorithms would react compared to each other. It'd be interesting to note, to get the reactions of a handwriting examiner with respect to the ability of the system to individualize within a population of 100. Um, you know, how much, how much data would a handwriting examiner require to match the algorithm in that regard and, and that kind of thing? My guess is, and I don't know whether you agree or not, I mean, my guess is that the handwriting examiners would probably say, I need less data, but the drawback of the handwriting examiner would be they wouldn't know their level of uncertainty, right? right? So you have a level of uncertainty with respect to how the <laughs> system works, right, within a population set. Right. Yeah. So document examiners, that's something that is being talked about in the field is studying the sufficiency of document examiners. 
since some of that research is a little bit lacking. You could flip this on its head to some extent. You could be um, looking at sufficiency decisions of the examiners and comparing those to the algorithm, right? You, right. And I assume you haven't had the ability yet to do that work. Right. Yeah. Now, is that something that's in your plan, is to be able to compare, or what's next for your research at this point? I will be supporting a grant by Drs. Litton Mohammed and Michael Caligari, and it's more looking at like a white box study of looking at examiners and how they make their decisions and how they look at comparing documents. Okay. Are you all going to be looking at the FBI 100 data set as well with that study, or are you going to be looking at different data? Or is there will be different data. Glad to hear you're working with Dr. Muhammad. Muhammad is one of our finest researchers and thinkers in, in handwriting examination. Yes, he is. So the uh, statistics program at South Dakota State University is uh, continuing to grow. So uh, how, uh, how many students are there in the department working with Drs. Uh, Newman and Saunders? I believe it's just three of us by now. Just three of us? I'm yeah. surprised. Okay. <laughs> a few have recently graduated. Oh, okay. So. There's been some uh, PhDs? There yeah. have been. Oh, okay. okay. Very good. Very good. Well, we're very, very excited about it because uh, obviously this issue of statistics is an important one in forensic science. It'll be a struggle, though. And part of the struggle is it's, there's just so much to be done. I mean, there's so much work to be done to get to the point where these methods can be applied practically in the, in the crime laboratory. Is it your view that Flash ID kind of proved itself with respect to its ability to be relevant in practice at this point? Or where do you think things stand, at least in document examination, in terms of the application of, of statistical al algorithms to complement the work of the human examiner? I think there needs to be at least one or two more sufficiency studies for Flash ID just to understand some of my algorithms, how it pulled out some of the words and some of the letters isn't quite what a document examiner would do. Mm -hmm. And so I think having a new study to more reflect what a document examiner, how they look at comparing two documents, if I could get an algorithm that more reflects that and that worked out well, I think then it would be ready to implement into somebody's lab. Okay, very good. Now, there have been several attempts. Uh, I know that there are other approaches out there. Uh, Srihari has one, but there so at least two or three others that have attempted to get out there in the commercial market. But it's a difficult problem. I mean, handwriting examination, mm -hmm. it's one of those things where the persistence within an individual can be difficult. There's a lot of variability. And at what point does that variability not overlap with the next individual who's similar to them in handwriting? It's a difficult problem. For sure it is. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're glad to have you trying to tackle that problem, Tammy, and I uh, wish you well in your studies going forward, and thank you for being here at EPTIS and giving talk on your work and being on the Just Science Podcast. Yes, thank you for having me. Next week, Just Science will be a special episode. This will be a live recording of Statistical Approaches to Forensic Interpretation, one of the two panels presented during the Impression Pattern and Trace Evidence Symposium. The panel was moderated by Dr. Jose Amaral from Florida International University and Dr. John Morgan, our host from RTI International. Opinions or points of view expressed in this podcast represent a consensus of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official position or policies of its funding. <laughs>